This is Beth Teichman, and you are listening to From Nothing to Profit. Welcome to From Nothing to Profit, a photographer's podcast with Matt and Kaya, where each week they talk to photographers about what is working in their business now so you can swipe those ideas and grow your business faster. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week. So, Kaya, I have another person that I know on the podcast this uh, week that you do not know. So, Beth, meet Kaya. Kaya, meet Beth. Kaya, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Beth. We're really excited that you're on here and interested to hear all that you have to say and your opinions. (laughs) I'm excited to be here and give them to you. (laughs) So, let me give a quick introduction real quick. So, Beth and I just uh, know each other from the internet. Um... But um, we've actually known each other via the inner world for, I don't know, probably like almost eight years, maybe five or six years, long time. And what I know you best for is that you do a bunch of retouching and outsourcing and stuff like that for other photographers. So I thought it would be good to have you on this podcast so you can kind of talk about what that looks like from your end and what that world looks like for people that are thinking about maybe taking some things off their plate and things like that. Um, And then if we have extra time, we'll ask you a few questions about other things that you think about the industry and we'll go from there. So if you want to start, Beth, by basically just telling us like a little bit about you and your background and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, Well, my background story is actually quite convoluted, but I'll keep it um, short. Um, I actually have a background in geology. (laughs) It's nothing to do with the arts whatsoever. Um, When I got done with uh, that degree, I got an internship in my field. Uh, but the internship was ending earlier than expected. Like they thought they had like 500 hours on the grant, but it was 400 or something. So I needed to find a job. And I was friends with a mutual friend of ours, Molly at the time, uh, who was still in her wedding photography stage before switching to boudoir. And uh, the only time I really got to spend with her during the summer was when she was editing photos. So she was getting to the point where she's like, there's so much else I want to do, but I can't do it because I'm stuck here editing. And I was like, here's the deal. The only time we spent together is me watching you edit photos. I've watched you for like how many countless hours. Why don't you teach teach me how to do it? Um, and like, then I can at least have a job and you can get some work off your plate and it'll just be win-win. So she said, you know, okay, sure. So I picked up on it. And because geology is an observational science, you're looking at the tiny, tiny little bits of detail that most people would overlook, but that's what you're trained to see. Because of that, because of my training, it actually set me up uh, perfectly for a uh, career in photo retouching, because that's all that retouching is, is noticing those tiny, tiny details that most people don't. So I got good at it. And she introduced me to other people. uh, And then from there, the side business grew to the point where I realized, hey, I can make more money doing this and be happier and like have the lifestyle that I prefer because I'm a hermit and I like staying home and I don't like leaving the house and that's perfect for me. So I'm like, I could do that um, and make more money if I switched to this full time. Um, So that's what I did in 2014. Even after having jobs in my field um, for a few years, I left those jobs. So in like 2014, like while the economy was still recovering, I was quitting a job in the sciences for a freelancing gig in the arts to make more money. Like it doesn't make any sense, (laughs) but it worked really well. So that's, that's awesome. like a short overview of like where I came from and where I'm at now. Okay. So let me back this up. So you're telling, I didn't know this story. So I, so Molly just has this random geologist friend named Beth that you guys just hung out. And yep. then that's what got you into the industry. Yep. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. She is, there's, there's more to the story, but like, the, again, like we're trying to keep this to like, 
something that people can listen to in a short amount of time and not like 10 years of backstory. But yes, like she used to live next door in the other side of the duplex that I that I lived on because her boyfriend used to live on that side and I knew him and that's how I got to know her. And so like I would, you know, go over there and say, hey, because he was also living like everybody lived in that side of the duplex was friends of mine, except for her. I didn't know, really know her yet. So like just in happenstance that then I got to know her and everything like that. And we were realized like, hey, we're like kind of the same people in a lot of ways. So we had a lot in common. So we became friends. And when we were hanging out, that's like the only time we had to spend together when she was home editing photos. So yeah, that was that's legitimately how it how I came into the industry. It's like the most oh. backdoor way that you could possibly walk into it. <laughs> That's so Our funny. One. I love it when people will come and sit with me while I'm retouching. And so I have lots of my friends. I'm like, if you want to hang out, you're going to just have to come and sit by me. And they're like, okay, I will. And then they give opinions. Oh, those bags need to go or whatever. So yeah, <laughs> very interesting. That's super fun. Okay. So then when does the lizard come into the whole thing? Oh yeah. My pet lizard. I don't know. Like I, like went to so every story that I have is so weird. So I go did, to the, well, hold on real quick. Did, did the lizard live in the duplex with you and Molly? No, 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 no. No, I got the lizard after Molly moved out of the duplex. I was still okay. living in the duplex at the time when I got the lizard. So okay, but yeah, I went to the Renaissance Fair and they have the herpetological society. Then they bring like a bunch of like snakes and whatever. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing. Like this little lizard dude. And I'm like, do they just chill there? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can hang out with the lizard. Like while I edit photos and like. Then I looked for one for adoption because unfortunately a lot of people get them and then they don't want to take care of them. So they're usually a common pet that you'll find for like adoption. So, um, or like rehoming. So now I have a pet lizard also and she's downstairs right now. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. Um, I'll jump in and I'll start the first question and we'll transition away from your personal life. So this isn't like a 30 minute show about how Beth lived with Molly. (laughs) and How weird I am. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So then you start doing retouching. So then tell me it basically it's grown into your full-time job now and that's what you do. Um, and can you talk, talk a little bit about like how you see that, um, works with the industry or you can talk about if people are thinking about outsourcing their editing or anything you tell us your world of editing, basically. (laughs) Tell us things about what you do. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um, so I have an interesting view of the industry because like we've already talked about, I was never a photographer. So I'm kind of sitting like next to the industry without being like fully involved in it um, in that way. So I see a lot of things from a really interesting perspective because of that. Um, And one of the things that I see so often is photographers um, getting stuck in the mindset of I have to do everything. I have to do it all. I have to do everything and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's the only way to do it. And if I'm not, then I'm like, not a has been, but like a a joke or a sellout or something like that. And I see that so much along with and coupled with the idea of like, oh, nobody can learn my style. Nobody can learn to edit like I do and so on and so forth. Um, So I really see that a lot um, as like one of the most pervasive things when it comes to outsourcing. Um, and what I usually try to remind people is, first of all, back in the days of film, not many photographers developed their own film. (laughs) They sent it out. So all of a sudden we've adopted this mindset that you're a sellout if you send out your, you know, photos for basically, um, getting developed. And it's like that whole thing has like kind of 
evolved as digital photography evolved. So I like to remind people, I'm like, remember, <laughs> this isn't, this used to be a common place just because like the final product, like a digital versus, you know, a piece of film is a little different. Doesn't mean it, like the basic concept isn't the same. Um, and second of all, I like to remind people too, that like being in business now on your own is different than it used to be however many years ago. However many years ago, you could have a storefront and a listing in, you know, the yellow pages and word of mouth referral. And that was like what you needed to have because not many people could invest in the equipment to be a photographer. So there were, was less all around. And obviously, by all means, if any of this is incorrect, feel free to like jump in here. No, I, um, you know, I've been in the business I've uh, for over 20 years, almost 25 now. And I mean, I was just thinking she is so right on. Like people don't actually say these things very often. But no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So like back then, you know, even even probably 10 years ago or so, you know, like that's what you needed. Like listing in the old pages, good referrals and equipment and whatever. Now the landscape has changed totally where, I mean, you guys hear it all the time. Everybody is a photographer, the phrase montage or whatever, you know, I'm not dissing anybody, but my point is, is that it's so saturated now that to even get above the water, you need to be doing so much. You can't just have a storefront and a listing in the yellow pages. If you did just that, your business would die quickly. <laughs> You need to be like social media, you need to be doing newsletters and blah, 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 blah. So like the workload that people have to take on just to stay above board is far different than what it used to be, you know, before the age of digital. Um, so that's another thing I try to remind people. It's like, you know, to expect yourself to be able to do all of those things and do it proficiently. And not only that, have some semblance of work-life balance is having expectations for yourself that are so high that you're really going to set yourself up for burnout and disappointment very, very quickly. And as you guys have seen, and as I have seen too, like that happens a lot. So you really need to kind of have your come to Jesus moment about what it really needs, what it really takes to run a photography business now versus what it did however many years ago. And you really need to, come to terms with the fact that you probably can't do it just by yourself. You know, whether that means having somebody in the office with you or having a retoucher on staff or like outsourcing your retoucher or something like that. Like you need to accept the fact that the landscape has changed. And if you want to thrive and if you want to grow with it, then you need to let go of those limiting beliefs that you're holding on to that are stopping you from moving forward with your business and with the industry. So that was like a really long kind of convoluted answer where I kind of soapboxed a little bit, but like, is that what you're looking for? <laughs> that, that's great. I, it's, it was very motivational too. So <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, um, so you do retouching for people and it's an outsource type situation. So do they upload it to you every day or how does that work? Yeah. So it, it really depends kind of, uh, on what they need. So like some people are shooting two or three sessions a week and some people are shooting, uh, you know, like a wedding every week or every other week, depending on the season. So what they usually do is I have a, a Dropbox account that all of my clients like put their content into and like they each have a folder. So like they can't get in anybody else's folder. Like they just have their own shared folder with me. So they upload stuff. Usually if it's weddings, I have them do smart previews. If it's portrait sessions, it can be either just JPEGs, depending if there's just retouching or it can also be, um, 
raw files if there's only a few of them. And usually then they just email me and say, hey, this is there for you, you know, so you don't miss it. It's like, sure, okay, great. It'll be back in a few days or a week or whatever. I just tell them. Um, so that's usually how it works is once we've onboarded and have like a regular working relationship, like that's usually just how it goes. I just get an email. Sometimes it's a text message on rare occasions. Sometimes it's a Facebook message. I don't care. Like just as long as I know that it's there. <laughs> yeah. And so um, do you call or do you just, are you just doing like final retouching? It depends. So like we have clients that we call for and we have clients that we just do like the basic editing. So like, white balance and exposure and total adjustments, basically like Lightroom edits, what Lightroom is built for. So we have people we just do that for, and then we have people that we do that for. And we do full retouching afterwards, like especially for boudoir, um, where, you know, it's obviously like the blemishes and the eye bags and, you know, the random crap in the background or whatever. And then we have people where then we make albums of everything that we retouch for them. You know, like it kind of really depends on what each person needs. And it's, tailored to each person and what they need like with some exceptions obviously like if they're using you know um software that we don't have access to or something like that so but um for the most part it's kind of like well what do you want and half the time what'll happen is like hey i know you've been editing do you want to start calling for me too i don't want to do that anymore (laughs) so that's usually how like the domino effect starts they're like oh wow this is great i don't have to do this anymore (laughs) someone else can do this what else can i not have to do anymore (laughs) so kind of just like starts the you know the snowball rolling that way yeah that, that's awesome so you started to touch on the <clears throat> excuse me you started touching on the idea that people come to you and they say that you can't match uh, my style so a lot of our listeners are going to be thinking that right now like yeah this sounds good but she can't match my style what what it talk us through the process of you do you do that and you know and how you would convince them that you can actually do it <sighs> Yeah, if I like had a dime for every time I heard that from people, here's here's the deal. There's a few things that are true. One, if your workflow is so convoluted and stupid that it's impossible for another person to utilize it on their computer, yes, <laughs> no one else is going to be able to match your style. Like I had somebody um, years ago. Don't say like, names. Don't say names. Oh, for sure. I'm not going to. I don't even remember her name or his name. Actually, I don't even remember who it was. But I remember this in particular. Um, But like, they're like, yeah, I have the image. I edit it in Lightroom. And then I open it from in Photoshop from Lightroom. And then I have this other image open that I drag the settings onto. And then I adjust the settings. And then I save it. And then I open it back up in Lightroom and apply these changes to it and whatever. And it's like, are you serious? Like, that is so convoluted so like if your workflow is like that it's going to be nearly impossible for anybody to learn your style because they won't be able to actually recreate it because all of the files and stuff that they need in like photoshop and lightroom will be in so many different places because it's a different hard drive that their computer won't even be able to recreate it (laughs) so like that happens sometimes but that's like 0.1 percent of of the of the chance that it happens. Usually what happens is people who have been established for a while have like an established style set and like an established aesthetic. So from there, it's just a matter of like looking through that and understanding like, okay, how are these medium bright? Are they really bright? Are they light and airy? Are they darker and moodier? You know, is it exposed so that all the detail is maintained in like the brightest part of the face, like the cheeks? The, the bridge of the nose, the forehead and the chin, or is 
or you're starting to lose detail there, you know, like is the skin warmer and starting to take on some yellow tones because of that, or is it cooler um, and going a little bit grayer, which like not bad, by the way, this is just like what I see yeah, when I look yeah, at stuff. The things you notice. Right. So um, it's just a matter of like looking at it and like assessing like, okay, so what am I looking at here? What's the, what's the uh, pervasive theme? And what I'm look like, looking at, are the shadows nice and deep or is all the details there in the shadows and the blacks and so on and so forth. Um, so, and what people for, forget is like, this is my job. This is the only thing that I do. <laughs> this is it. And I was trained in a profession um, that the tiniest bit of change in detail and what you're looking at in a rock structure could mean the difference between a fucking gold mine and shit. So like, I'm going to notice this stuff. Like, this is my job. This is what I do. I have been highly trained to notice these sorts of things. And then from there, what I usually do is a test edit with people where I have to say, give them, give me your presets or anything you, you know, you utilize regularly because I'll need those if I'm going to recreate your style. Some people have them, some people don't. And then from there, it's just a matter of like assessing what I'm looking at, like based on kind of how I explained it to you. Um, and usually I can get it within about 90% of the time just on the test edit from that. Because like I am used to seeing the different styles and knowing what they should look like and knowing what they should be and like how that um, gets interpreted in each individual photographer's images and each lighting setup and so on and so forth. Are there times where I haven't nailed it? Like, of course, like that's going to happen sometimes. You know, like if I get something where it's a really difficult lighting situation, I'll try to interpret, okay, based on this photographer's style, this is probably what they're looking for. And sometimes they'll say, no, you know, I prefer something a little bit more like that. I say, okay, show me. So they show me and they give me an example of it. And then I re-edit it based on what they're looking for. Like if it was like a ceremony or something that just wasn't quite right. Or what I'll have people do, since I'm a lot of times working in Lightroom, is I will have them, if they're still like really nervous about it, I'll say, okay, that's fine. Go ahead and edit a few images in each of the different like setups in the wedding. So like, you know, a few of the getting ready photos, a few of the portrait sessions, a few of the ceremony, a few in the reception and so on. So like I'm knowing what they're looking for in each particular situation. And so I can use this kind of as like anchor edits to go back to and, and refer to if like they're still feeling unsure about it. So that's something else that I kind of like help people with. And then the other thing too that comes down to it is like, at the end of the day, you always want to give your clients the best that you can give them. And like, I, I am hundred percent there with you, but what you can't do is make things important to them that aren't actually important to them. And what I mean by that is the fact that as photographers are in the photography industry, we're trained to know what perfect exposure and perfect white balance is, although obviously that's subjective per person to person. Our clients or your clients that you work for are not. They don't know. And guess what? They don't care. Now, this comes with some, obviously, some um, work around here because if you're primarily a dark and moody photographer and you turn around something that's like really, really bright and airy, like, yeah, they're probably going to notice. But what they don't notice is small differences in like white balance or exposure or something by like 0.1 or 0.2 or like a few hundred degrees or something like that. They don't notice that. And more often than not, they don't care. What they care about is how you treated them, your customer service. Did you make them feel heard? Did you handle all of their insecurities and their problems and everything like that? Like, you know, um, one of my friends, one of the things I like to ask photographers is go to all of your reviews that you've ever gotten from people look through them. What do they say? 
most people say something like, you know, they were so easy to work with. I felt so taken care of. Or like one of my friends, um, his one of my favorite reviews that he has, it says, um, uh, we loved this photographer so much that, you know, because during the ceremony, he took 10 seconds to set aside his camera and help my grandma with her iPad so she could take a picture of us. Like these are the things that are important to your clients, not those tiny, tiny little minuscule differences with white balance and exposure, right? They care about how you made them feel, not the things that they aren't even trained to notice. Now, I'm not saying, of course, like schlep any crap on your photos and send it out the door. Of course not. But remember that, you know, don't lose the forest for the trees. Remember what your product is that you're giving them and don't get lost on the things that technically aren't part of that. Um, it was just like, what well, photographers hate to hear that. <laughs> like a lot of times, like when I'm giving like talks and stuff and speaking at conferences, like I can just hear the buttholes closing. Like it's when I say stuff like that, like they hate it. Um, but like, that's the reality of the situation. Not any photographer I've ever met says, Oh my God, I love working with this photographer. They totally nailed the white balance in the ceremony because like the lighting was super difficult, but they totally nailed it. No, they'll never have that. I've never seen a photographer who serves like the average, you know, public, maybe not like a fashion photographer, that's going to be a little bit different, who serves like the, the general public who has, you know, reviews like that because they don't care because they don't notice. So don't get lost trying to make things matter to your clients, like perfect white balance that don't actually matter. And then on top of that too, you know, yes, you're here to serve your clients, but your business also has to serve you. So if you're, is it, it get a little bit macabre? So here we go. Um, if if on your deathbed, you're lying there, I can almost guarantee you that nobody is going to be thinking, wow, I'm so glad I spent every spare minute of my life perfecting that contrast and that white balance on every single one of my photos. Instead of like living my life with my family and my friends and, you know, doing what I wanted to do, like... You also have to think not only about your clients, but also about you. Think of yourself in 30 years or 60 years or however old you are. What's actually going to matter? Yes, creating a quality product, of course, but also not nitpicking to the point where it's taking your life away. And photographers do this. I see it so often in Facebook groups. You need to let go a little bit and remember that your business needs to serve your life. And if it's not, then you need to let go a little bit. So it does so that when you are laying there on your deathbed, you can think, wow, I'm so glad I spent, you know, and focused my energy with the people and the things that mattered instead of the things that didn't. It's a really answer. That's really good. It's so funny. You, you keep reverting to motivational speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that's part of what I have to do to like get people on board. Like, no, come on, like big picture here. We have to go big picture. So when you're retouching, what do you do? Do you uh, watch TV shows? Do you talk to people? Do you listen to podcasts? I'm assuming you listen to motivational podcasts, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't actually. <laughs> okay, but I do. Li- I do listen to stuff. Uh, like I will listen to like podcasts and like business podcasts. I'll listen to okay. and I'll watch TV shows and like binge, t- you know, like documentaries. I spend so uh-huh. many times watching documentaries and stuff like that sometimes i'll talk to people but not really more just kind of like online throughout the day or whatever like on facebook but for the most part i you know just it's mostly like listening or books on tape i recently discovered books on tape those are the shit like you can like listen to so much stuff um yeah yeah well i use like there's a free app through the library then you can just get all like the books on tape through there 
And it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to pay for them. It's great. But yeah, so I do like a combination of stuff. That's awesome. So um, do you want to talk a little bit in general um, about our industry and kind of what you're seeing the trends and stuff are? Um, you know, and a little bit less, uh, like a little less retouching and more just in general, like kind of what you're seeing. Cause I think it's really cool that you have an outside perspective in a sense. Cause you, you know, like are not in the emotional photography every day. You're just like seeing kind of the, the back end of everything. Yeah. So like a lot of the things that I do see that are working, um, the studios that I see that are actively not only paying their bills, but doing multiple six figures is they're not doing it alone. Like every single time, like they have an, either they have an office manager, they've hired someone for retouching or they outsource this and so on. So they've, they've realized that this isn't something that you, that can be sustainable if they're going to do it themselves, not, not, and not, and be able to have the success that they want to have, or even in some cases pay the bills. Um, and also coming to terms with the fact that, um, you know, putting 100 images on a disc for $50 also isn't going to. Um, and serving your clients in a more thorough way, like I'm personally an advocate of in-person sales. I think that the average client gets so overwhelmed with the options that we give them that they don't know what to do with them. So they don't do anything. So then this thing that they took so much time creating that has preserved so many memories, like sits it on a USB drive and never gets seen which is really such a disservice. Um, you know, you really need to, I believe, you know, take the time to sit down with your clients and say like, here, this is what I think would work best for an album. This is what I think would work best as like wall art and so on and so forth. And really take that time to be full service um, and take it to the next level. Because there will always be people who, what is it? The, ex- the saying, the extra mile is never crowded. So like, that's what I'm really seeing with a lot of the studios that, are you know succeeding um, far and above what the average studio is? Is they're not doing it, doing it themselves, and they're so focused on customer service and serving their clients, and that really shows. That makes that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, okay, so I mean, let's let's kind of just leave it there a little bit. I want you to kind of tell people how they can reach out to you. Um, you know, give us like how to connect with you and stuff like that, and um, hopefully this you know, little talk will just be exactly what people need to hear when they need to hear it and they'll reach out to you. So what's the best way? Sure. Honestly, the best way is just on my website, um, starboardediting.com, and then to contact me on the contact form questionnaire that's there. Um, that's really like the best way. Um, once we're clients and we work together, like we can be like Facebook friends and chat that way or whatever, text if need be. But like if you're just reaching out for the first time, it's definitely my website. Okay, perfect. And you said starboardediting.com. Yep, that's it. Perfect. Kaya, anything else for Beth? Since, I mean, I no, talk I to think- Beth about this stuff all the time, so you <laughs> feel free, feel free yeah. to chime in. I think I definitely would agree with you. I think every time that I've outsourced things and stepped away from them, it's made a big difference. And um, your assessment of the industry is really spot on. So, um, yeah, thank you for coming. This was fantastic. Beth, I have one last thing that I heard the other day and I thought of you and I almost emailed you and then I was like, no. So yes, I'm so it, was so, it was so funny. No, it's so good. So somebody was like, we were talking about outsourcing editing and they were like, well, do you send your kids to daycare? And the lady was like, yeah. And he's, she's like, he's like, so you outsource your, ch- you're raising your children, but you won't outsource your editing. 
Like, how's that working out? <gasps> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa. And it was, it was brutal. And I'm, I'm not poking fun at anybody, but I was like, yeah, that's kind of true. Like, it's so interesting what we hold on to and what society tells us we can let go. It's just so, it's just a fascinating thing. And I'm not saying that everyone's life is different. So there's right and wrong things to do, but it's just amazing that like, for some reason, our industry right now is telling everybody they can't outsource it, but you know, so that's such a load of crap. Like if people like, honestly, if people are, are getting from this, like, Oh, just send your images off and have them do whatever to it. Who cares? Your clients won't notice. If like, that's what you're getting from it. You really need to unpack <laughs> some emotions that are surrounding that. Cause that's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm saying create a, a, a relationship with an outsourcer that you can trust that has your vision in mind, you know? So like if, if that's, that's not ever what I would say is just, Oh, send it off. Who cares? Like, no, never like create a relationship and let go a little bit. Right, <laughs> like exactly. exactly like what you said, like, would you outsource your, the raising of your children? <gasps> Snap. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That was brutal. I, like I just, I left the thread at that point. I um, love it. It's so good. <laughs> so anyways, cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I mean, definitely um, short and sweet, but you know exactly what you're talking about. So I really hope people, um, listen to this, take a moment to think about if this is right for them. And if they, if, uh, editing their pictures is something that they can let go of. Um, because I think you're right. Our industry is overwhelmed and people are getting burned out. And I think this was one of the quickest ways we were able to get deal with burnout is by outsourcing our editing. So mm-hmm. it made a big difference in our studio as well. So. Yeah. There's a lot of photographers too, that I've worked with that have gotten the time back and then they shoot more because they have more time. I had one girl, I'm putting together the video editing for it. Now we did a video interview she is making an extra $200,000 a year because just cause she's not editing. Yep. Just cause she's not editing and she's taking that time to shoot and do sales instead. Like that is astronomical. Right. Like it's just unbelievable. Cause I, cause she's not paying you 200,000, right? No, 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 no. Like I did. That was actually like with the math. What? what? Wouldn't that be nice? That was, <laughs> no, that was the net. That was the net right. of what it costs uh, on what her average sale was minus the average cost of uh, retouching for that sale. So that was That's her amazing. net uh, minus obviously other business expenses like studio and blah, blah, blah. But like right, minus right, right. my cost, that was her extra net that she was making. That is insane. Yeah. Over and above paying you. That's awesome. Right. Oh yeah. Right. By far. It's usually like if you can do it right, the ROI is like in like double digits easily. Cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, All right, well, we'll, like we'll leave. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, so we'll leave it there. Um, thanks so much, Beth, for being on. Um, I'm sure we'll be chatting in Facebook probably in the next few hours. Um, but yeah, guys, if this sounds like something that you need to investigate, reach out to Beth. She is awesome, and she obviously will help you figure out if this is the right fit for you. Um, and we'll, yeah, we'll just leave it there, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to From Nothing to Profit, a photographer's podcast with Matt and Kaya. Be sure to subscribe for more business strategy and ideas to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always wanted. See you on the next episode of From Nothing to Profit.